We are going to start today's session with a conversation with Sasha Mirchandani, Founder and Managing Director of K-Capital. Sasha has been here before. Uh, I have known Sasha for a very long time, and I'm really looking forward to catching up with you, Sasha. Welcome back to I the show. I look forward as well. So, um, Sasha, why don't we start with um, kind of an overview of the Indian startup ecosystem and the trends that you have observed. You've been at this for a long time. Um, what, you know, what has happened, and we can dialogue a bit to understand where we are in the evolution of the Indian startup trend and Indian startup movement, let's say. Well, Shamana, um, Indian startup ecosystem has been going for quite a while. Uh, if I remember correctly, it started very early in the early 2000s, uh, around the time of the dot-com era. A few VC firms showed up, uh, put their flags down, but most of them disappeared post the dot-com era. The second uh, bucket started in 2006. This is when the serious bucket started. It's approximately 2006 when VC firms started coming back into India. We had several different firms that uh, wanted to come. There was one, the Global Suitcase VC, so they would show up from Silicon Valley with a suitcase and look for deals and go back to the valley. Uh, there was second was firms that set up shop in India with having one person in India, and they had management committees, et cetera, partners, mostly in the U.S. or China or other markets. You had a third bucket, which was actually Indian firms like Nexus, Helion, et cetera, that started off actually putting between 2006 and 8, starting up in India. And around the same time, you started having global firms like Axel, Sequoia, actually having Indian outposts with Indian management, uh, Indian partners, actually partnering with these firms like Matrix, Lightspeed, Sequoia, etc. started around 2006 and 2008. And then post that, we obviously had many more firms come into the ecosystem. But that was the first time when you know large firms came into India and started investing with, from Indian uh, capital that they had raised. Uh, Today, it's evolved quite a bit. It's a very large industry. You have pretty much every top-tier U.S. VC now in India. You have a bunch of Indian homegrown funds that have scaled up. Each of them are managing well over a billion dollars comfortably. We have a bunch of seed funds like us, Bloom, IQ, et cetera, that have come up. And there's a whole bunch of private equity as well on top. So it's a pretty robust ecosystem and still growing. So it's quite exciting, actually, right now. So in terms of, you've talked about the investor trend. Let's talk about the sectors and, um, you know, the types of industries that have done well. By the way, folks, those of you who are listening and if you are followers of the Indian ecosystem, one of the earliest uh, Indian startups that has scaled and has gone public in, in the U.S., uh, this idea just happened, Submatic has gone public. Um, it's a, it's kind of like a milestone event. Uh, we're going to see more. There are there's at least several others in the wings right now. Druva is going to go public most probably next year. Um, Freshworks is going to go public relatively soon. Um, there are others that are in the background. Of course, there's the whole e-commerce world that has done very well, the India market facing the Flipkarts and the Paytms and the, uh, you know, related the online travel agencies and so forth. So how do you summarize the sector trends? How do you view the sector trends? What What is your current investment thesis by way of sector trends and uh, what does COVID uh, do to the Indian 
startup? Yeah, so if I step back and look at, um, say, early parts of the 2000s when we started K Capital, we were looking primarily at two categories. Of course, consumer consumer tech. You know, yeah. India is a large enough market to build large companies in the consumer tech space. So we were primarily focused on the consumer tech space, Amla. And we had a small piece for B2B, you know, SaaS, for B2B analytics, B2B cloud. Basically, companies that are born in India, Bangalore, Chennai, maybe Mumbai, mostly moving to San Francisco, maybe New York City. So that was yeah. a bulk of our investment, 70-80% consumer tech companies, because India is a fast-growing consumer tech market, as you can imagine. So at that point, you could think of India as a hybrid between the Chinese and the Israeli market. Our B2B businesses had to go global to build scale. Well, our consumer tech companies like the Chinese market could build large enough companies like the Flipkart and the Mintras of the world, etc. So that's what we did for, for the longest time. But then what we've done post that in our subsequent funds is expanded to very interesting categories like consumer brands. We're now seeing that you can get venture scale returns in consumer brand businesses, and we actually have some very interesting companies in our portfolio that approve that out. We're also seeing the B2B enablement of SMEs, and that's a huge opportunity within India itself. And some of our best companies now are coming out of that category. So it's a very, very mm-hmm. exciting space. For the longest time, we never looked at companies within the B2B space in India, but now that's really exploded. And we're pleased to report that we have some very exciting companies in that category. So if I were to summarize, Consumer tech that will continue to go. India is this very nascent market. A consumer brands. SaaS is now becoming a very strong focus for us. Uh, it's, we've done far more SaaS companies in our second fund than the first fund, so that experiment worked out nicely. And then, of course, uh, the B2B India uh, story is now the Bharat story, the India story. is actually very exciting as well. Let's unpack each of those a little bit. So let's talk about uh, B2C uh, tech India facing, um, the the beginning of it was focused on a kind of like, even though we talked about a 1.3 billion population and a and a much larger market opportunity, the real uh, internet consumer, the spend was in in a relatively smaller uh, you know segment of spenders. It was the high income group, the educated group, the very online savvy group. And then along the way, entered reliance with geo and, and kind of democratized access in a very big way. Have you started seeing a meaningful expansion of the Indian consumer space? Yes, we have. And in fact, uh, to your question about you know post-COVID as well, we've seen a very dramatic improvement in sales in the smaller markets. So we have several consumer internet companies whose sales are quite dramatically improved in the smaller markets. There's still markets which may not pay as much as a, as a metro would, but we see tremendous uh, appetite in these markets. So it's a very exciting period. In the next couple of years, we see tremendous growth from these markets because a lot of these folks are going digital first from day one. You know, they don't need to have stores, etc., because the infrastructure to put up all that stuff in India is very difficult, it's very expensive, it's tedious. But the experience online is so efficient that the customer is ready to go digital from day one. So we're seeing huge opportunity for these companies to scale in these markets. It's a pretty exciting time, and it's a good way to expand the market overall, obviously. So um, if you double-click down into consumer tech, um, there are three, maybe four uh, segments that ought to be looked at. One, of course, is e-commerce, which is the leader in consumer tech. 
the second is online education, the third is fintech, and the fourth is healthcare. Could you comment on each of those and what you're seeing and, and what are the trends in each of those? Actually, we have companies across all four. So mm -hmm. we are equally excited. It eventually comes down to the entrepreneur that we pick in these categories. Because the market opportunities in all four of these are actually, as you can imagine, very early days in India for any of these four categories. You've seen some amazing stories in EdTech. The companies that Baidu is now worth more than 10 billion, which is incredible, yeah. right? It's unthinkable. Or, you know, on Academy, 2 billion. If you look at FinTech, you've seen some great success stories. Uh, several unicorns are now coming out of FinTech in India. One just came out just in the middle of COVID. Um, Razorpay, right? Very, very exciting story as an example. If you look at uh, some of the other two categories you mentioned as well, Fint, uh, like I said, if you look at, let's say, um, consumer tech, we have, we have a company called 1MG, so it's an online pharmacy business, scaling tremendously fast. Because at the end of the day, you know, you know, once COVID hit, no one wanted to go to the pharmacy, no one was allowed to go. But, you know, you right. go online, it's a super experience. Anything that can be delivered to your doorstep in a safe, efficient manner. That's an e-commerce story, story, though, right? Sorry? That's more an e-commerce story. That's an e-commerce story. But the rest was, of course, I give examples of fintech or of course, laser pay and you know, companies like that doing extremely well, just exponentially scaling in the last couple of years. And is telehealth scaling? Telehealth scaling exponentially. Uh, there's some very exciting companies. Uh, we have a company um, called Cure.ai. It's not a telehealth company. It's an AI company for radiology scans. And now they do COVID mm -hmm. scans. So it's, it's doing business uh, all over India, but now it's doing business in the US. And it's got FDA clearance. Super exciting business. So not only are they taking care of opportunities in India, but global as well. For example, we have a company called Visa, the mental health chatbot, based out of Bangalore, but a bulk mm -hmm. of their opportunities in the North American market. Because, you know, unfortunately, post-COVID, we've all seen the value of, you know, taking care of people's mental health. It's, it's a major, yeah. major problem. It's, it, you know, it's mm -hmm. a stigma, which is unfortunate. But uh, Visa has done a phenomenal job of, you know, helping people in duress. And uh, we, you know, as we go, we're actually becoming a U.S. business. We got primarily most of our business in northern, northern Europe, in U.S. markets, across Asia. So, you know, we can see we're building global businesses sitting out of Bombay or Bangalore. Or, and these entrepreneurs, Swamna, really understand the global mindset, which is quite, uh, yeah. quite encouraging, actually. Even though they're going to move to Boston, they could have run it from Bangalore if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Freshworks has been mostly run out of Chennai. Yeah, Girish just moved apparently last year or whatever, but all these years he's run out of Chennai. Yeah. Incredible business. So, um, speaking of B2B, um, you, you mentioned the rise of the Indian SMEs as a customer base, which took a little while. And, and one of the issues has been that it takes high-touch high selling and customer support to sell to these SMEs in India, and the unit economics become challenging. How is that changing? Are people willing to buy based on phone calls and online interactions now? And how is the, the technology adoption in the Indian B2B customer base changing? It's changed dramatically. There's several companies, no one, that have scaled up across different verticals in the SME space, B2B SME space in India. Uh, and some of these companies are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, in the last three to five years. 
lot of user behavior change, a lot of leadership change where decision makers in the SMEs are now second generation. They understand tech. They see the value of tech. Even in a Kirana store, when I go to my Kirana store next door to my house, the young man I speak to, he's speaking in perfect English. Uh, and he, he wants to evolve. He wants his uh, store to become part of the ecosystem. So we're seeing yeah. people open to change, which is most important. And then you have the entrepreneurs who are ready to give that solution the perfect storm. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about your fund. Um, it's been a while, so uh, give us a little update on where you are, what fund, how, how you know, what is the fund size, what focus, uh, what are the highlights of the portfolio? So we're a classic, very early stage seed and venture capital fund. We, we invest the first, let's say, 700K to a million bucks, take a board seat, and then we can invest a couple more million, series A and B. So maybe at best four to five million in one company. But we start never start with more than a million dollars, maybe a million and a half at best. We manage a little less than a hundred million dollars over the course of all our funds uh, as we speak. And uh, we generally partner with bigger firms like Sequire or whoever we work with for the series A and B and C and D. So that's how we work. And what um, what are the highlights of your portfolio currently? Or if you have exited some, you can talk about those as well. Well, uh, before I started my, well, before I co-founded K Capital, we've done several investments which were very successful, like Mintra, which was great success for us. Uh, we did a company called Inmobi, where I'm still a shareholder. I was yeah. the first investor in, uh, in a company called Factor Analytics, which recently closed with $200 million Apex Partners. Within K Capital, we have several exciting companies like Porter, which has been funded by Sequoia, Aspada, etc. We have HealthCart, which has been funded again by Sequoia, Supina. We have this company I just mentioned called 1MG, uh, in one of India's fastest online pharmacy businesses. Uh, we, we did a company called Zetwork two years back, which is then being financed with the B2B marketplace uh, for manufacturing companies, funded by Lightspeed, Queen Oak, Sequoia, Accent, etc. We've been lucky to have many very exciting companies over the last, uh, you know, 10 or years, 10, 20 years since I've been investing. Could you double-click down on one each in uh, in the two categories that we discussed at length? One, um, consumer tech, but where the consumer base is expanding beyond the early affluent urban customer base. Uh, you mean in, in one category where the where is growing? In one company, if you have a company in your portfolio that is experiencing that expansion of you know the consumer base, that you know the maybe the geographically maybe the tier two, tier three consumer one MG. city consumer one base, one MG. Yes, Can you tell, talk a bit more about what what are they doing? What is the go-to-market strategy? What how are so, how are they handling the unit economics, etc.? So it's not rocket science. It's an online pharmacy business, Samla, and um, mm -hmm. online pharmacy, as you can imagine, is a massive, massive market. So for sure. us, massive market is critical, and this is a great example of a just a humongous market, completely fragmented. It's probably one of the fastest-growing categories in India, uh, as we speak. And what's happened is post-COVID, like I said, people anywhere were using the product, using the service quite extensively. But now, once you got locked up, people started using it substantially faster. It's grown. I, I, I can't reveal the numbers, unfortunately. We're in the middle of a fundraise. But 
the numbers just have exponentially exploded in the last six to nine months. And now we can see this becoming a multi-billion dollar business in the next five years. And uh, what is the customer acquisition strategy? Is it Google um, AdWords? How, what is the what makes this unit economics work? I think I would imagine the tier two, tier three city consumers that traffic is still relatively inexpensive, right? Yeah, I mean, Google, Facebook, user suspects, right? Each, each of our companies has works differently. And, you know, whether one works with one, you know, we call it picking a lane. You've got to pick one lane. A lot of companies try too many things now. What we see yeah. work with the company, I'm not, now I'm not talking about 1MG per se, I don't want to talk about what they do specifically. Yeah. But what I've seen where it works really well is if a company picks one lane, once they get going in experiments, because a lot of times, you know, you need a lot of money to expand your marketing and online channels, etc. So what I advise people is to pick one lane and then go deep into that lane. And those are the companies yes. that actually end up winning. And uh, do you have an example of a company that is catering to Indian SMBs in your portfolio, a B2B tech company? Yeah, like uh, I mentioned, uh, Porter, Zetwork. Porter is, um, you know, an intercity logistics company like Uber for SMEs, like these small little trucks, they go from, you know, company to company delivering goods during the day. It's a okay. huge opportunity. We just closed a large round with Asparta, Sequoia, in that company post-COVID. And I, I can see this business eventually becoming a public company. It's just incredibly early days. Huge, huge, exciting opportunity. Because we're just in six cities right now. We can be in every city in India in the next five years. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, is there anything else that you want to highlight from your uh, experience or portfolio before we uh, move to the entrepreneur pitches? Well, no, I think what we've learned over the years, Samna, is that, uh, you know, large markets are critical. You know, a lot of times, you know, we go after really good entrepreneurs, which is obviously obvious, but the reality is going after a very large market helps the cause tremendously. So I encourage entrepreneurs to really think through the markets they're going after. When you hit the right market, the opportunity to become a very big company is so much easier than trying. Like I had companies which we funded in 2001. They eventually got to the market in 2010. And most funds don't have that time, right? It's 10 years to get to scale and get out. And, and for example, my analytics company, we started in 2001. Today it's a huge company, but because I held it privately, we could take our time to build it to get to scale. Otherwise, it's very important to time the market. Uh, well, timing makes a huge difference, obviously. I mean, I, personally, I actually think that uh, markets, the size of markets, the, the timing of markets are bigger drivers in, in entrepreneurial success yes. than people. That's what uh, mediocre to. people in hot markets with the right timing can make great companies happen. But great people in mediocre well, markets. Well, well, mediocre people can never make it happen. But uh, a solid entrepreneur can make it happen. Versus a very good entrepreneur in a very small market, obviously, for him or her, it's that much more difficult. Yeah. I think uh, if you're trying to build a venture scale company, I think uh, you need large markets. That's basically the bottom line, absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think timing is a really important thing. That's one of the things that we, we talk about a lot in our program because we work with very early stage entrepreneurs. Um, is, you know, you kind of have to have runway, especially if you're trying to do something 
contrarian, something different um, that, is, that, the, that the market is not yet ready for. You're betting on timing, essentially. When would the timing hit? Like you're, you're talking about online pharmacies in India. Well, COVID has accelerated that. Um, there's a lot of companies that have benefited from COVID because of this ex extensive online push that has happened in the last six to nine months. So, it, you know, but, but they, in many cases, those markets were growing much more slowly. Online pharmacy was not go, growing as fast before COVID in India. You know, you know, we have paid Swamla to, to, to figure out the weak signals. You know, there are weak signals as we speak for opportunities. So we were paid to see the big signals in online pharmacy before other folks. And obviously we missed many other categories where someone else read the big signals because it's like yeah. mobile, right? Before mobile exploded, the folks who, who invest in such companies, like say oil rooms for India, those are the firms that benefited tremendously. So the weak signals is critical for us to assess. I say, okay, we see something here that's a weak signal, that's gonna become a full on signal in a couple of years, let's jump in now. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not easy to gauge how, when, how long it would take for a weak signal to become a strong signal. So you make bets and, 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 uh, and then externalities that drive the signal becoming strong. Very good. Well, Sasha, great catching up with you and, and hearing more about what's going on. And uh, we'll keep in touch and have you back again. Bye -bye. Thank you very much, everyone. And best of luck. Stay safe. Happy Christmas New Year to everyone. Thank you, Shramna. I'll check out. Bye -bye. To meet you, Sasha. Yeah, nice to meet you, Sujo. Best of luck.